0: Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon.
1: Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, and it's, as always, a glorious day. Um, so beautiful. <clears throat> Take a look, as I always tell you, to the Self-Improvement blog today. You want to be sure to read our guest bio, see his pictures, There's a couple of videos. Be sure to watch the videos. There are many more on YouTube, and each one in itself is so special. I can't urge you enough uh, to to watch those videos. Um, Today we're going to be talking about the heart and science of yoga, and you'll learn so much from those videos as well as what we're going to do with The show today, you know, I have some friends who go to yoga classes and they go several times a week. They're always talking about it. I ask them about the class and they say they exercise. Now I ask them about meditation and they give me a blank look that some people would describe as the deer in the headlights. Look, you know what I mean. No meditation, just exercise, they tell me. And I I always have to smile. I have other friends who meditate but don't do yoga and, and I'm sort of in this group. Most North Americans today perceive yoga as a valuable source of exercise and maybe a little bit about quieting the mind, but by and large, most of us think of it as exercise. In the heart and science of yoga, you'll learn that it's so much more. On this show, we're going to talk about the benefits of yoga with Leonard Perlmutter, the author of The heart. And science of yoga. Leonard Perlmutter is the founder and director of the American Meditation Institute in Avril Park, New York. He also serves as the author and editor of Transformation, the Journal of Meditation as Mind-Body Medicine. Over the past 39 years, Leonard has served on the faculties of the New New England Institute of Ayurvedic Medicine in Boston and the International Himalayan um, uh, yoga, yoga Teachers Association in Calgary, Canada. He has presented workshops on the benefit of meditation and yoga science at the MD Anderson Cancer Center, a number of colleges, universities, a number of large influential medical centers, and all of them applaud him. We know there are tremendous benefits for all of us, for our health, for our mental well-being, from yoga and from meditation. And it is my absolute delight and pleasure and honor to welcome Leonard Perlmutter to the Self-Improvement Show. Leonard, we're so glad to have you here.
2: Thank you, Irene. Uh, I deeply appreciate the invitation.
1: It's a a wonderful book. Um, Go to the Self-Improvement blog. You'll see more about the book. If, if you don't have it, if you're interested in meditation and yoga at all, this is the book to have. He gives you so much. I mean, this book is just so rich. I can't even begin to tell you how much I like it, uh, and and I've just barely scratched the surface. It just continues to give you as you continue to grow. You'll understand more and more from the same from the same page in his book. It's one of those that just keeps teaching you. Um, Leonard, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Leonard Perlmutter? It's a well, trick question.
2: Uh, that, that question can be answered in, in several different ways. Uh, I'll try to combine the ways. Through my meditation practice over the years, I have come to realize that I I'm actually a citizen of two worlds simultaneously.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I am eternal consciousness, wisdom, and bliss, having a human experience in time and space, in duality, through a mind-body-sense complex known as Leonard Perlmutter. And the key to successful living is, on a very practical level, to combine the two worlds. To act in the world, speak in the world, think in the world, based on the wisdom of our higher self, our eternal self. And the more that we can do that, the more that we can base our thoughts, our words, and our deeds on our own inner wisdom, The promise is, the hypothesis of this yoga science is that as a consequence, we will be able to experience and fulfill the purpose of our lives without pain, without misery, and without bondage. And the corollary to that hypothesis is also explored. The less we base our thoughts, words, and actions on our own inner wisdom, And when those thoughts, words, and actions actually conflict with our inner wisdom, that inner wisdom becomes the mother of all problems in our lives. And instead of experiencing health, happiness, and security, we experience physical, mental, emotional, spiritual dis-ease or pain. And if we don't heed the lesson of pain at a low decibel level, the decibel level simply gets louder and louder and louder.
1: <laughs> and, the, and it's a challenge. It, it doesn't sound so hard, but when you really try to put it into practice, that's another matter altogether. And we could talk on the whole show just about this one thought, this one idea But we have a lot of territory to cover. You claim that yoga is essentially a science. I hadn't thought about yoga as a science, but how do you define science, and how does yoga fit into the science category?
2: Well, yoga is a science. It's the oldest form of mind-body medicine. Mm. And in order to experience happiness, health, and security... The science of yoga provides all of humanity a philosophical and scientific template for seeking and discovering the truth. But to begin the practice of yoga science, each person must first be willing to use his or her own mind-body-sense complex as a personal laboratory in which to undertake scientific experiments. Then, Uh, in the midst of every single relationship, from the most subtle to the most complex, the bridge of yoga is to be employed in order to discover and verify the truth.
1: Okay, tell us what that bridge of yoga is. What is it? How do we use it?
2: Well, let's start first with uh, just the word yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word and it means union. So, with that concept of union, right away, we understand that there has to be a, a joining of two things. So, the bridge of yoga is actually a metaphoric bridge in our lives that inspires us and instructs us to connect our outer actions. And in yoga science, when we talk about action, we're always talking about thoughts, words, and deeds. Because even a thought is a veritable action. So, the bridge of yoga instructs us to connect our outer actions with our own inner intuitive wisdom. So, in each and every yoga science experiment, the same hypothesis is set for as as I mentioned earlier, when we use the bridge of yoga to receive the truth of our own inner wisdom and then employ that truth in thought, word, and deed, why we just feel better. We feel better physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually.
1: Talk a little bit about how we go about doing one of those experiments. Okay, um, let's do a yoga
2: science experiment. All right. Uh, I think it will be very helpful, and it will be uh, 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 inspiring also. Uh, So uh, what I'd like to do, Irene, I'd like to ask you and, and all of the listeners to participate in this yoga science experiment. Actually, this experiment has two parts, a part A and a part B. So let's do the part A first.
1: Okay, let's go.
2: Okay. So what I'd like you to do is to raise your right hand directly over your head and then bring it back down again. Do that now. Okay. Okay, were you able to do that? I did. I was. Okay, So, so we know that it's doable. It's doable. Okay, now part B of the experiment. I I want you to do the exact same thing. I want you to raise your right hand directly over your head and bring it down, but this time I'm asking you to raise your right hand and bring it down without any thinking whatsoever. You're not allowed to entertain any thoughts. (laughs) So go ahead. See if you can do that. (laughs) that <laughs> you can't do it.
1: Didn't I know no, I could not? I was thinking about it. not thinking.
2: Okay. So so what did we just learn? We learned that the mind moves first and the body follows. That's that mind-body connection. The hand and the arm have muscles. They have the capacity, but they do not have the will force to rise above the head and and come back down. It is the thought that empowers the action that brings about the consequence. The thought empowers the action that brings about a consequence. That's what became Newton's third law of motion. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Right. So right now, every human being, pretty much I would say, has, has the desire for a certain kind of consequence in life. In other words, we all want to be happy. We want to be healthy. And we want to be secure. We want loving, nurturing, creative relationships in our lives. So the question becomes, how are we going to get to point B from point A? If, for example, I wanted to start a a business... First thing I would probably do is uh, I would uh, create a business plan. Right? Do we have a business plan for our happiness and our health and our security?
1: Oh, that's a great question.
2: Mm-hmm. I know that I know that we've been to school and we've been to college and we've been to university and I know that we have received knowledge and I know that we have assimilated knowledge and I know that many of us have gotten a degree. But what does that mean? That means that I am qualified to to get a job. That pays me money. But does that assure my happiness? Does that assure my health? Does that assure my security? I think not from my experience.
1: Uh, nor from
2: mine. Right. So, so there's, there's something else that, that is missing. And so what Albert Einstein says is very relevant. He says that a problem cannot be solved on the level at which it arises. It must be solved on a higher level. What does that mean? It means the problem with the stress and the anxiety and the fear and the anger and judgment and self-willed desires that that we deal with that bring about pain in our lives that are so stressful, they cannot be resolved inside the matrix of our mind-body-sense complex. The answer lies on a higher level, Einstein. So, it just so happens that human beings have the capacity to access that higher level. One of the major functions of the mind that we're all familiar with is called our conscience. In Sanskrit, it's called buddhi. Now, from a yogic perspective, the conscience acts exclusively as a mirror. That's its functionality. Our conscience is a mirror. And it can reflect perfect wisdom from what is referred to as the superconscious portion of the mind. Now, that's not a metaphor. That's not just poetry. The superconscious portion of the mind lies beyond the conscious mind. It lies beyond the unconscious mind. It is the same portion of the mind where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations. It's the same portion of our mind where Paul McCartney accesses beautiful melodies doesn't mean that I'm going to become a songwriter and it doesn't mean Irene that you're going to become a mathematician or a physicist <laughs> no it isn't sorry about that
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: but but what it does mean is the more that each of us can use our conscience to access inner wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind that wisdom will tell us what is the thought to think? What is the word to speak? What is the action to take in this particular relationship in which I find myself that will bring about the consequence which will lead me for my highest and greatest good?
1: And so the big question is how do we do that?
2: <laughs> That's well we do that question. we do that by learning to train the mind, which if the truth be known, is a novel concept. We have learned oh. lots of, lots of uh, knowledge, but nobody, certainly not in my life, has ever taught me how to use my mind.
1: Nor mine. And before we get into that, let's take a break so we don't have to interrupt our discussion on uh, using that higher part of the mind. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Leonard Pearl Mutter, saying stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash
4: Voice America. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense, Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment.
1: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Leonard Perlmutter, who's the author of a wonderful book called The Heart and Science of Yoga. We were talking about the superconscious mind uh, before we went to break, um, and, and it, brought to my, well, it brought several things to my mind. He talked about training the mind, and my mind went back to dog training when I had a puppy. And how hard we work to get him to do some few things, he did learn them. My mind is a lot more recalcitrant than the puppy was. And mind training and and getting it tamed a little bit is a much more daunting exercise. One of the things you state in the book, Leonard, is so fascinating to me. and And you say an infinite number of possibilities exists in the silent spaces between thoughts. You talk about these spaces as the sea of consciousness. Is this the same as the higher consciousness that we're going to talk about? You know, Talk about the importance of this space between thoughts and then get us into um, the higher consciousness and how we tap into that.
2: The the space between thoughts, this silence between two thoughts, is... Uh, is part of an ocean of consciousness. It's the background of all reality into which gross and subtle objects appear. Thoughts are subtle objects. They resonate at high frequencies. Gross objects are like our body, the apple that we ate for lunch. Mm -hmm. And every time we have a relationship with either the thoughts the subtle objects or the more concrete, gross objects, like our body or the apple, uh, a consequence develops. So, the key uh, to accessing that inner wisdom that is in that silence is meditation. We teach what is referred to as mantra-based meditation. Mantras are part of every single spiritual and religious tradition. A mantra is a word or a series of words that contains the name of the supreme reality. We refer to that as G-O-D. So, when we give our conscious attention to these mantras, a consequence develops. First, It generates love. Second, fearlessness. Third, strength. Love and fearlessness and strength every time we listen in meditation to the mantra. Now, the mantras are interesting because it does something else, too. The mantra, like pigeons that fly home to roost or salmon that swim upstream to spawn, Mantras return to their source of origin. Mm -hmm. What is their source of origin? Well, there's only one source of all. We call it G-O-D. Yoga science refers to it as this ocean of consciousness in the silence between two thoughts. So when we give our full one-pointed attention to the mantra, the mantra becomes our leader. When we give our full attention to the mantra. The mantra leads us beyond the boundaries of thinking. It leads us beyond the boundaries of feeling. And it brings us into the silence. So... If you'll let me, just for a moment, let me use an example of a mantra from the Christian
1: tradition. I I was going to ask you, where do we find the mantra that's right for us?
2: Well, I'll talk about that in a moment, but let's just, just for the sake of uh, 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 an example, let let me take a, a mantra from the Christian tradition. We'll use the mantra, Jesus. Okay. So, first you have to remember that the power of the mantra is not in the meaning the power of the mantra is in the vibration. That's why John in the New Testament says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And what is a word other than vibration? Okay? And so when we listen to the sounds of the syllables, we are listening and attuning our aggregate vibration with this perfect harmonic of the mantra, which generates love and fearlessness and strength. So just listen to the mantra Jesus as an example from the Christian tradition. Just listen for a moment and then I'll explain.
1: Okay. okay.
2: Jesus. Now, when you give your full attention, you'll begin to notice that the mantra, Jesus, appears out of the silence. It comes from the unknown. And when it concludes, it returns to the silence. It returns to the unknown. Now, listen again with that understanding. Jesus. mantra arises from the silence and it returns to the silence and when we learn the skill in meditation of one pointed attention, when the mantra returns to the silence, the one pointed mind can experience the silence, the space between two thoughts where an infinite number of possibilities exist. And in that silence, that ocean of peace, bliss, and happiness that exists beyond the boundaries of thinking and beyond the boundaries of feeling, when the mind and the mantra become one, the mantra returns to the silence, the mind piggybacks a ride, Mm -hmm. and we become aware of our own divinity. Our essential nature is sat, eternal, chit, pure consciousness and wisdom, anand, bliss and fullness. And when when the mind gives its full attention to the silence without any interceding objects like thoughts, we recognize that we are one with everything else. And that is the beginning of fearlessness, because we annihilate the space between us and everything else. And if we annihilate the space between me and you, then what is there to fear if there's only one?
1: Nothing. Whom,
2: Whom is there to fear if there's only one? So the first great freedom that we experience in meditation is the freedom from fear. It's not that we're not aware of fear in certain circumstances, but increasingly we're no longer hijacked by the fear. We no longer act, speak, or think in service to the fear, which is in conflict with our inner wisdom. That's a game-changer.
1: That's a game changer, and as many times as uh, you know, I've had a number of people on who talked about meditation. I've been meditating for a long time, and you know, what you're saying resonates with me with me more than probably anyone uh, anyone's teachings so far. Uh, makes perfect sense. Deepak Chopra says healing happens in that space between thoughts. And I, I think I'm hearing you say the same thing. Everything well, right. seems to that,
2: happen that's there. That's exactly right, because <laughs> we're talking about wholeness as opposed to separateness. We, we so, are all looking for, for unity. We are all looking for wholeness. We are like a cell. We are like a cell in search of an organ. So that we can fulfill the purpose of our lives, but in our culture we are cut off from our essential nature. We are moving pieces on the chessboard, thinking that we are going to receive happiness from just the moving of the of the chessboard. But we just did an experiment where where we realized that the mind moves first and the body follows. So the power. To experience happiness, health, and security, loving, nurturing, creative relationships, first and foremost begins with our thoughts. And unless our thoughts have the good housekeeping seal of approval of our own inner wisdom reflected by our conscience, unless these thoughts that we serve through speech and action, unless they have the good housekeeping seal of approval of our own inner wisdom, then that inner conflict is going to bring outer conflict, and the first experience that we have outside the mind, so to speak, is the body. And I have a pain in my back, and I have high blood pressure, etc., etc.
1: etc. etc. And yet, it's the space between those thoughts that you really want to dwell in.
2: That's right. Is it not? That's right. And like, like all. Uh, teachings in mythology about the hero's journey, once you experience that silence and you receive, you begin to receive this wisdom, then you are obligated to go back into the constellation of relationships that you have in day-to-day life and share that light with others.
1: So then, the the challenge is to learn how to get there. Yes, the challenge yeah. is the journey. The challenge right. is the journey. Talk about the mantra. Then, if the mantra is a vehicle to get you there, yes. How do you know? And I, I, how do you know what's the right mantra for you? I have a, a sense that what you would use is not what I would
2: use. Well, my experience, or is that wrong? Yeah, my experience is this. When you begin, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's like George Harrison uh, once said, uh, if, if, if you don't really know where you're going, any road will lead you there. Yes. So uh, in the heart and science of yoga, I have written uh, different mantras from various world religions. I use those, and I have chosen those because I know from the testimony of, of countless women and men in the history of the world that they work. So why try to reinvent the wheel? We're just starting this journey, the first step. So I ask people to, uh, who are interested and who find uh, this book in their hands and they're reading to bring each of these mantras into your heart into the heart center, the the center of, of your chest. And just sit back and just observe, how does it feel? And then choose a mantra that feels good. It just feels comforting, loving, strengthening. And start with that. Certainly, if you read the heart and science of yoga and... Many of the practices make sense to you, and through your own personal practice, you begin to feel better physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and you have an affinity for this particular teacher in the form of Leonard, then I would encourage you to contact me, because there is an entire science of mantra available And just like a physician will prescribe a certain uh, pharmacological uh, uh, prescription for a certain condition, there are different mantras for different conditions, so to speak, conditions of the mind, body, sense, complex. But for getting started for that first step, it's about your intention. So you don't have to uh, do anything other than intend... Choose something that feels right for you for us to have a positive experience.
1: And I'm looking at your list as you speak, and I certainly will go through them for myself. You talked about if you feel that you'd like to work with a teacher named Leonard. How do people reach you,
2: Leonard? Well, the website... Uh, the American Meditation Institute is AmericanMeditation.org, AmericanMeditation.org. And you can contact me. Uh, uh, we have an email address. You can contact me through, through that, or you can uh, get the telephone number uh, through that and just reach out. I'm always available to students. And on that website, you'll also uh, be able to uh, purchase the book, for example, it's also on Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble and other fine bookstores, but we have other uh, online courses and uh, curriculum that uh, might be of interest. But if, mm. if you want to go deeper and you you have if you trust Leonard as as a as a teacher, then contact me. I'll tell you how what happened with me. Uh, uh, my my. Meditation Master, who was Swami Rama of the Himalayas, uh, I, I began studying his literature, his books, uh, back in the mid seventies. But uh, I didn't meet him personally until the nineteen ninety one. I had no need, so you see how far that first step can can uh, be. It yeah. you can go quite far, quite deep, uh, based on your own self-reliance and yoga science encourages every step of the way your own self-reliance it's not about dependency it's about self-reliance so with me uh i i when i was a when i was a child uh grade school and then in high school i was in the scouts i was in the cub scouts and i was in the boy scouts and gee i love the scouting experience It taught me a lot of practical skills. I remember that the motto of scouts was, be prepared. Well, be prepared for what? Well, be prepared for anything that life can uh, bring your way. And when I began reading the books of Swami Rama, I said to myself, gee, now this fellow is writing a book that sounds like he's a scoutmaster. <laughs> he's asking me to be prepared for all sorts of relationships. He presents a practice and he says, if you, if you do this practice, you'll feel better physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually in every relationship, whether you win or you lose, whether you're, whether you're praised or whether you're blamed. And so I started experimenting with my own fear, with my own judgments, with my own concepts, with my own anger. With my own desires, and I felt better. And then One in 1991, the things... I decided, well, I, I would like to thank this person. So that's that's when I actually met him.
1: Oh. that brings me to a question about guru. Um we we in the Western culture think now we all need one and you know, we all need a guru, but that's not how you define the term guru. You define it as the force of divine light and wisdom that dispels the darkness of ignorance. Is that the same as a spiritual teacher or is that the wisdom that you get from within?
2: It's all the same, Irene. It's all the same. They're all synonyms. So Guru is a universal force of light that dispels darkness. So So that can be a physical teacher. It it, it can manifest as a physical teacher, sure. It can manifest as a bird. Any relationship that we have can become a vehicle for Guru. And I'll explain. In every form that exists... There is a combination of space, air, fire, water, and Earth. That's what makes form in the material world, space, air, fire, water, Earth. My body, the apple I ate for lunch, the cereal I had this morning, my automobile, my computer, it's all space, air, fire, water, and Earth put together in a a unique uh, configuration. So in addition to those five basic elements, there's a, a sixth, subtler element, that I refer to as guru, this universal force of light mm-hmm. that dispels darkness. What that means is, in every relationship that we have, the guru principle is present. It's also present within me, my inner wisdom, my access to my inner wisdom through my conscience. That is the inner guru. The outer guru is the person I have a relationship with or the situation with which I have a relationship that requires an action that will bring about a consequence. So here's the take-home message. When the outer guru, either a personal relationship that we have, or now secondarily through the media, through television, through radio, through uh, the computer, whenever we have a relationship and the outer guru makes a suggestion on how we should live our lives, if the outer guru is in harmony with the inner guru within us, based on our own conscience, our own inner wisdom. And the outer guru is to be honored and respected and then served in mind, action, and speech. And as a consequence, will be led for our highest and greatest good.
1: And Not on that note, it's time I'm going to let the audience chew on that while we go to break. This is Irene Conlon and my guest Leonard Perlmutter saying, stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
4: two decades of sexual emotional and physical abuse nearly took their toll in her 20s she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others she can help you find the key to take control of your life too listen every tuesday at 10 a.m pacific time 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america empowerment channel how do you define work is it that mundane monday through friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment.
1: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Leonard Perlmutter. We're talking about the science, the heart and science of yoga. Before the break, we were talking about a guru or, you know, the meaning of guru. And I want Leonard to finish that thought before we keep going. And I have to say that, you know, my soul is being so fed by this today. I, I hope yours is too. So anyway, Leonard, continue your thought on the guru
2: Thank you, Irene. We just uh, talked about the fact that when the outer guru makes a suggestion, whether it's a personal relationship or secondarily through the media, and that suggestion is in harmony with our own inner guru, our own inner wisdom reflected by our conscience, then that which is suggested to us is to be honored, witnessed, and served. That's why Jesus, speaking as the Christ says, I am the way, I am the light. But we have other relationships, too, where the outer guru, in a person, personally or secondarily, through the media, makes a suggestion that actually conflicts with our own inner wisdom, reflected by the conscience. Mm -hmm. It conflicts. In that case, we still have to honor and respect the outer guru as a manifestation of the one. But then, because the outer guru's suggestion has conflicted with the inner guru then I must lovingly reject the suggestion because at that moment, that outer guru has come into my life simply to teach me what not to do. And that's why I tell people that one of the most important gurus that I've ever had has been Elvis Presley. When when I was 10 years old, (laughs) I fell in love with Elvis Presley. When I was 20, I loved him. When I was 30, when I was 40, when I was 50, when I was 60, I love him today. Because I gave Elvis Presley my attention, I learned a lot about the choices that he made. Some of them were in conflict with my inner guru. So on a very real level, the purpose of the life of Elvis Presley, in part, was to teach Leonard what not to do with his own life. So we have teachers that come into our lives that model things for us, but we're not grateful when they're teaching us what not to do. <laughs> we have to honor that teaching by rejecting what they say in our own life. We, in other words, we don't have to touch every burner on the stove to know which is hot and which is not. All these people are going to come to into our lives and model what not to do, as well as what to do. And we need to honor that inner guru.
1: And I can I assume that if we're really in touch with our inner guru, we'll know what is you know, what is the thing we follow and what is not the thing we follow?
2: That's the journey.
3: That's the by, journey. By doing the
2: practice, by doing the practice uh, we clean and cleanse, clarify that mirror that is our conscience so that it can more accurately reflect perfect wisdom from the superconscious mind. But if we don't use the conscience... If we don't use this mirror, like any mirror that's not used, dust and debris will fall on it, retarding its reflective quality. But the more Mm. we use it, it's like taking out the Windex and cleaning it, cleaning it, making it more capable of reflecting wisdom from outside the matrix, the higher level that Einstein was talking.
1: Yeah, you have a lot of references to Einstein and I I loved it and and you know one of the questions that I got from I think your publicist was you know why do you mention Einstein so much he's a physicist and my mind immediately went to yes and some of this is metaphysics you know so how do you how do you get it all together <laughs>
2: Well, we get it together in the laboratory of our own mind-body-sense complex, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and we test it. And, and we test it. We ask it. ourselves, like, like a good scientist, like a good doubting Thomas, we ask ourselves, well, gee, how do you feel now? My guess yeah. is I, I, feel, I have felt better from the get-go, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually.
1: I hear that I hear that commercial. Can you hear me now? You know, <laughs> do you get? Do you get it now?
2: Yeah.
1: One of the things you talk about in the book and and evidently you tell your students to continue throughout their life to ask, Who am I?
2: Yeah.
1: why Why is it so important to do that on a regular, continual basis throughout your life? Am I not the same? I know the answer to that, but <laughs> you know. It was an interesting thing to me.
2: Well, uh, if we don't know who we are on all grades, levels, and degrees, then we're going to identify with the mind-body-sense complex as me. And it just so happens that, as we talked about earlier, the mind motivates the actions that bring about the consequences. So if we analyze the actions that we take, they're based on perception. And then if we analyze our perceptions, we see that our perceptions are based on our conceptions. Our conceptions skew our perceptions. And I know personally that I have a lot of concepts stored in my unconscious mind that are faulty and not true. I've had... I've had lots of teachers in my life, and some of them have taught me that one plus two is three. And I have that stored in my unconscious mind, and, and uh, in certain situations, I, I employ it, and I do very well. But I have had other teachers who have taught me that one plus two is four, and I was so impressionable, so naive so uh, in need of approval that I believe them, and I have held that concept, one plus two is four, in my unconscious mind my whole life, and in certain kinds of relationships that trigger my emotional buttons, one plus two equals four is my go-to concept, and I base my thoughts on it, my words on it, my actions on it, and the consequence is always painful. So if I don't know who I am, if I don't recognize that I am essentially spirit having a human experience, then I, I let go of my discriminative faculty, I let go of my conscience, and basically I live my life on autopilot, which means that the ego, the senses, the unconscious mind run the software program or the marionette, that would be me. And a lot of those limited perspectives are based on faulty concepts that bring me pain. We don't have to live like that. We are the architects of our lives if we simply use all the assets that we have. Right now, the mind is the problem. And yet the mind is the solution. We need to use the mind to go beyond the mind to bring that wisdom from beyond the mind back into the conscious mind and then employ it in thought, word, and deed, stand back, and see what happens. My experience is it's a thrill a minute.
1: And I have it's to like agree like riding with
2: you. the big wave.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think of it as soaring. If you ever went soaring, and yes. it is so peaceful and yet it is so exciting. I mean, to me, that's that's how it is. Yes. Um, I need to ask this question because there's so many people who may have this in a little crooked. Does you, yoga science conflict with any particular religion? Is there anybody whose belief would prevent them from doing this?
2: You know, my experience is... Uh, there's no conflict whatsoever. If, if a person is a Christian and they practice yoga science basing outer action on inner wisdom, it's, it's really uh, basing your outer actions not necessarily on the conscience, but the Holy Spirit is a synonym, for example, for yes. conscience or the Buddha. So it's about understanding uh, the truth and employing the truth. If if you're Jewish or you're a Buddhist or you're a a Hindu or you're a a Muslim and you practice yoga science basing outer action on your own inner wisdom, then you'll be a a better Jew, you'll be a better Buddhist, you'll be a better Hindu, you'll be a, a better Muslim. That's my experience.
1: And I've seen this as well. It really doesn't conflict... With anything you know, <laughs> it just really does not. Yeah. I hate to say this, but we are really coming up quickly to the end of the show, and I want you to be able to leave a, a thought with our audience. You know, what, what would be, of, of all the things you know, and, and I, you know, let me encourage them to get your book, and they'll understand what I mean. You know, from your your own inner wisdom, I guess, is the way I want to say it, what's the thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today?
2: The thought that I'd like to leave, first of all, I'd like to say that everything that you have heard me say today is all hearsay. Hmm? It's all hearsay. If you're interested, you have to experiment with it to find the truth yourself. Yes. My... My experience is that we are the architects of our lives. We determine our destiny. If you really want to be happy, if you want to be healthy, if you want to be secure in this world, recognize that your your greatest resource are your thoughts. Because it is thought that leads to words, that leads to actions, that bring about consequences and recognizing that thoughts are our most powerful natural resource, remember this, that every single thought that comes into your awareness is only a suggestion of what to give your attention to. It is not an imperial command. But with every thought that comes in to your awareness, your conscience, known as buddhi, will always know what is the thought to think, What is the word to speak? What is the action to take that will always lead you to your highest and greatest good?
1: Oh, I thank you so much for those words, and I thank you, Leonard, so much for being with us today. I want to remind our listeners that your book is The Heart and Science of Yoga by Leonard Perlmutter. By all means, get it. I, I have loved this interview, Leonard. I'm so grateful to you for all you've done to help us mortals you know, reach a, a, a different place.
2: Um, well, Irene, we're, we're all on the same journey. You yep, know, we, we are. We all have a mind-body-sense complex, and we all have our own challenges. Anybody with uh, a, a body has work to do. Yes, we do. But it yes, can be enjoyable do. work. It, could, it, it can be loving work, uh, both for ourselves and for And for the entire planet. And so when you you purify your own instrument, you change the consciousness of the entire world.
1: And I will leave with that thought. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Leonard Perlmutter saying thank you so much for being with us today. And come back next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show.
0: Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.